Welcome to this Conveyancing Matters chat, which is our monthly conveyancing news update. And we're looking at things that have happened in January 2022. Welcome to Conveyancing Matters with Lorraine and Stu. Join us for a chat about all things property. So, Stu, what, what's caught your eyes in conveyancing news this month? Well, there's a few things, aren't there? So I think, first of all, um, maybe the interesting news with the fines recently incurred by HSBC for AML failings. Yeah, we've had, uh, well, we've had HSBC and NatWest um, find many millions for anti-money laundering failings. And I know this is a subject we talk about a lot, Stu, but um, interestingly, actually, uh, a lovely subscriber uh, said recently to me in a private message, um, she found one of the AML chats that we did uh, really, really interesting. So do remember to subscribe if you haven't, because uh, we talk about uh, stuff that's relevant to conveyances all the time. But AML is the big one. And what really worries me about anti-money laundering, Stu, is that it becomes a bit like the wallpaper, doesn't it? Uh, in that it's always yeah. there and people stop thinking about it. So I know we talked about this in a different chat, but what are what perhaps are some of the key messages um, that, that you would have for firms and, and conveyances in relation to anti-money laundering? I, th I think the key message is how important it is. Um, you know, I think we sort of get mixed messages when we talk about money laundering and how it affects the world in general. But of course we are, and we can't understate how much, you know, we are a target. Um, for criminals and and obviously the main part of that would be money laundering and, and AML so those checks that we do they're not a process um, they're not just a tick box exercise it's actually looking at the results and actually investigating those bank statements I think too many times here um, you know I've seen people that are you know collecting the right information but it's not just a case of collecting it you've got to actually go through those bank statements and you're investigating that client's money and most importantly, it's not just bank statements, it's the origin of the money, where does it come from, and what else have you got to show, so that if somebody does knock on the door and say, well, didn't you think that was a problem? You can say, well, not really, because yeah. X, Y, Z, look what I'm holding. Well, and one of the one of the messages uh, in relation to all the decisions we reach these days, too, of course, is, uh, is I always call it show you working out. You've got to demonstrate why you came to the decision that you came to. But I mean, one of the things I find startling about uh, the stories about the banks is that one of them, as I say, and they were fined multi-million pounds, is that um, uh, somebody turned up with a bin bag of cash, which gives you a bit of an image. But it's not just the banks. And um, one of the country's most well-known firms, uh, has uh, Michon de Rea, has recently been fined over £230,000 for AML failings. And um, this information is out there. And I just thought, maybe before we move on to a, a different topic, Stu, um, I would literally read out some of the points that the SRA itself made in relation to the fine meted out to uh, Michon de Rea. Because some of the facts are that whilst working for two individual clients and corporate vehicles connected with those same individuals, uh, some of the following things happened. So the firm believed that customer due diligence was obtained in relation to the two individual clients, but the firm didn't retain a hard copy of the file. The files appear to have been misplaced and no electronic copy of the records were retained. Some documents, but not a full set of customer due diligence documents were obtained 
um, in relation to one of the corporate vehicles, so incomplete due diligence. Um, enhanced customer due diligence was not adequately applied when the files were identified as being at risk of uh, high risk of money laundering. Um, certain payments were made out of the client's, uh, the firm's client account, which didn't relate to an underlying legal transaction, which, as we know, is really then allowing client account to be used as a banking facility. And uh, the um, partner in charge, um, uh, former partner, I should say, who was responsible for the relationship with the clients, um, hadn't received mandatory training as required by the anti-money laundering regs and the firm has stated and the SRA accepted that such training would usually be provided. But in addition, there was no contingency plan at the firm for AML training to be implemented if there was a personnel absence. So I don't really want to comment beyond those because I think they are all key learning points in themselves, too, and they are yeah. just direct quotes yeah. from the SRA. So forgive me for sort of reading it out and being a bit dull, but that's one of the most well-known firms in the country. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be taken from that. Um, different levels, aren't there? Um, I think from a, a managerial sort of stance, um, obviously, periodically giving that training and actually keeping records of all that training is obviously a must, um, you know, not only to demonstrate that people have had that training, but also to protect yourself. I, you can prove that that relevant training was given. And then from even an employee's point of view, I think we get lost in the detail some, somewhat, you know, but the importance of this can't be, you know, understated. And it's not just the firm that might have a problem if there is a problem. Um, and, and you were found to be at the heart of it, you know, aiding and abetting money laundering is obviously a criminal offence that could lead to imprisonment. So, yeah, that's, that's, what, yeah, that's certainly what one of your recurring about. themes when we talk about this stuff, Stu, is, is, is the personal responsibility that the yeah, fear is taking on here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, well, think, I, I think if you haven't had that training, you know, you need to get it. Um, yeah. And you need to be sort of nagging, you know, wherever you are at whatever firm for that training because it is that important possibly in terms of training as a generalization maybe the most important possibly i now. would i would argue in many cases yeah to be honest um because it is the training that, that you know the regulators and everybody are going to be looking for really mm. but um well moving on Stu. um yeah. we've got the land registry fees going up for the first time uh since 2009 on the 31st of january uh 2022 yeah. so um how you know have you found that sort of tricky to get the the additional required fees from clients how have you handled that uh well not yet um but i'm i'm, I'm certainly will be i think uh, you know we discussed before that it's a, a bit of a pain uh, maybe in terms of its timing i don't think anybody would uh, begrudge the language to actually raising their fees but to announce it um when they did giving us a very short window of time um, to actually deal with it was, was more the issue. Um, but of course, in terms of um, what we do on a practical front, it's just getting as many applications into the land registry and obviously making sure that not only are they put in, you know, if we do get requisitions, if anything is cancelled, uh, it does need to be dealt with by, um, you know, the end of January. Um, otherwise, if we do resubmit something in February, we're going to incorporate the higher fee, aren't we? 
Yeah, that's a really important point, Stu, uh, and the Land Reg. And to be fair to the Land Reg, they have sort of trailed this a lot now around social media, but I do agree that right off the back of the, the end of the stamp duty land tax, no holiday in the run-up to the Christmas rush, you know, that timing wasn't ideal. I suspect that there are just going to be a whole shed load of conveyancing firms out there who've got sort of outstanding uh, amounts of land registry fees on office account. That's how I think this is going to go. But what the Land Reg... Sorry, go on, Stu. Yeah, I think so. I think one key point as well is, although I appreciate how difficult this would be, but um, I think, you know, if there are any barriers that prevent you making the application to the land registry, it's advising the client what that barrier is and the implications that, you know, you're going to have to pay an extra 20 quid or, or whatever the case may be um, because of it. So whether that's, you know, waiting for a certificate from a management company, whatever the circumstances may well be, um, it, it's trying to keep that communication channel with the client open so that you know they're aware that they may have to add more money. Yeah, I think um, I think the land reg need to uh, brace themselves for an absolute deluge of applications. To be quite frank, but also actually, Stu, and I'll sort of conclude with the point I was going to make in a minute. But of course, another really important point that firms need to realise, and I know we're only perhaps talking sort of 15, 20 quid here and there, but on a lot of files that adds up very quickly. And I think there will be a lot of money outstanding on office because, of course practitioners do need to remember that waiting for the money from the client isn't a reason to not submit the more, uh, the land registry application if you've got a lender because of course one of the lender's requirements as you and I know is that the firm has both the stamp duty land tax and the land registry fees in client account by the time the mortgage advance is released on completion uh, and if the firm doesn't have land registry and stamp duty land tax fees, um, the firm is expected to put its hand in its own pocket. So um, firms will be paying this out of office. But just absolutely to reiterate the, the point that you made, because I think this is a really important little nuanced point for firms, that the new fees, the increased fees are payable when an application is submitted on or after 31st January and when an application is cancelled or rejected and resubmitted on or after 31st January. So effectively, the new fees come into to, to a force on the 31st. But as you've quite rightly said, Stu, if, if an application is cancelled for whatever reason and you resubmit it, even if you got it in before the 31st January deadline, you're going to be stumping up the extra fee if you're resubmitting. So, um, so that's an important point. Good. OK, Stu. Well, um, Michael Gove um, mentioned, uh, came up with some warm words about uh, about cladding. Um, yep. So I'm not sure that it takes us really very much further forward, does it? I mean, he said... Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there's anything in it which is really going to help us as such, but I think what it does go to show is at least it's on somebody's radar uh, of, a, of a senior level. So, you know, with everything that's going on at the moment, I'm sure yeah. it's something that we're not going to find conclusion on particularly imminently, but uh, at least somebody has uh, come out and actually made a statement, which means at least somebody's looking at it. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. As I say, I think it needed to be up, you know, a, a minister's uh, on the top of at least one minister's um, to-do list. So mm. Gove mentioned that um, leaseholders won't be expected to take out loans to pay for sort of cladding remediation works and has come out with uh, comments that... Um, uh, developers are going to be expected to put their hands in their pockets and pay, albeit some of them are pushing back on that already. But I say this quite a lot when I'm training, Stu. Um, 
does that make any difference to the coalface conveyancer today? Uh, and I think the answer is probably no. Um, I think it's any positive news for people trapped in, in flats is, is, is good news. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm, I don't think in terms of what, what impact does it have on, you know, your colleagues and your files today? Uh, I think it's pretty limited um, if, you know, and the lenders have got to play. The lenders and surveyors have got to play. It doesn't matter what the government tells them about, right. um, you know, you don't need a, an EWS1 certificate for this. But um, but if uh, but if they're not prepared to um, take the risk and why would they? Yeah then uh, practically on the ground, not much is going to change. No, definitely. I don't think it's worth just briefly mentioning. I don't know whether it's brand new or updated, but it's probably just ma worth making um, mentioning for, for colleagues um, watching that the Conveyancing Association has actually issued um, uh, some guidance on cladding. So if anybody, for practitioners particularly, as to what, you know, what EWS1 certificates are and when to use them and so on, uh, I've not looked at it in any detail, I must say, but, um, but the guidance is out there. So if any conveyances are sort of flailing a bit, um, then uh, th there's some uh, guidance on the Conveyancing Association's website. I think one of the initial problems with, with cladding was actually the fact there was such a lack of guidance, wasn't there? It kind of yeah. like crept up on us, didn't it? Um, crept up us and, and sort of slapped us around the face. And there was a lack of guidance, I, I think, from all directions. So um, at least now <laughs> we're sort of conforming and there's, there's more information out there um, that, that we can use practically, uh, like you say, rather than talking about it and, and everything else at different levels. Um, at least there's stuff out there now that, that you know, day-to-day -day work in looking at files you can you can refer to. Yeah, no, absolutely, Stu, absolutely. And maybe sort of moving on then, something else that um, I think is positive, but isn't necessarily going to help us every day yet. We've had a few developers now on the, on the age-old cliche of ground rents. We've had a few developers come out and sort of confirm that, frankly, in, in the light of a, um, a competition and markets authority review, a few developers have come out and said, yes, we're going to ban doubling ground rents. Mm. Um, countryside Properties said it a while ago, Persimmon Aviva. We've had another one come out uh, come out recently, Stu. Taylor Wimpy, is it? Yeah. Um, that have come out and said that they're, uh, they're no longer going to enforce those. Um, again, it's about time, isn't it? Um, I don't think these announcements are going to change everything that we're doing practically overnight, are they? We're still going to come across plenty of them. Um, but I think that the key point here is, is recognising when that um, ground rent does double and, and what it can exceed during its, you know, during the lease term and making sure that, you know, we are reporting these issues straight away to the bank and, and, and looking at it from that point of view. I know from, uh, from uh, our indemnity insurers, you know, it's a massive risk um, part of, of, of the renewal, looking at, you know, uh, what steps we take to identify these and what we do about it. So it's really, really important that we're, and particular attention to these leases and, and the amount of ground rent. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for anybody that's got um, uh, a lease that, that involves any of these developers and Taylor Wimpy, Taylor Wimpy put out a press release only in December 2021. And they have come up with sort of two different scenarios where, where Taylor Wimpy is the freeholder, they will do X, Y and Z. And where Taylor Wimpy isn't the freeholder, they'll still try and do this, this and this. And I think, again, the 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 sort of implication for us at the coalface and you're absolutely right Stu is um a report it to your buyer b report it to your lender I mean what I've been trying to sort of persuade people to do when I've been talking on courses is don't leave it weeks before you look at the lease 
as soon as you get a lease in, look for all these obvious issues, you know, ground rent, residue, etc., and report on it immediately because the transaction might be falling out of bed. But I think it's really important to remember that it's absolutely good that the likes of Taylor Wimpy, Persimmon, etc., are making these noises but of course these leases are still going to need to you know be amended with a deed of variation we're still we've still there's still legal work to do you know the terms of these leases aren't just going to sort of magically change and i think people need to understand the impact of that on transactions and so on don't this do oh most definitely i mean i hate to even think uh, probably an unquantifiable amount of leases out there that do have these within so you know whether they stop them, full stop, whatever the case may be, we're still day-to-day practically going to be coming across these every day. Yeah. So it's really, really important that we're paying attention. I think ground rent potentially was the, the lesser of the problems when you were looking for a lease previously and historically, wasn't it? You know, it was something that it was X amount and we reported it was X amount to the client and didn't think anything more of it. But now, of course, it's a totally different entity and it's growing to be of equal importance if if not one of the key things that you would now look at uh, like you say when you when you know when you get that lease we always do exactly that as you've just um advocating as soon as we get that lease yeah it's kind of uh, i suppose a mini risk um assessment of that mm. lease you know flicking through those initial points you know how much term is left um you know does the ground rent double blah 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 um to find out um you know i think historically we always worried about leases being defective didn't we um, that was the terms that we used to le- use, um, you know, defective leases. Um, but now I think, yeah, a key point, you know, a key overhaul of it, just to look at those initial problems um, to see moving forward. Um, is it going to be something that's risky to deal with? Yeah, I think. And, uh, and as a client once, of mine once said, you know, these are potentially showstoppers. These mm. are things that potentially mean the transaction yeah. won't go ahead if the lender takes its, you know, takes its teddy and won't play. So I also wonder and I appreciate it's not always easy to do. But whether, you know, the buyer needs to understand that, you know, they've got a choice. You either report this to the lender as soon as you know who the lender is, of course, early on and say to the buyer, well, do you want us to do any more work until we get the yes from the lender? Or do you want us to hold fire? But you have to accept that if you don't want us to do any more work because you don't want to incur abortive fees, that's going to build in more delay to what's already likely to be quite a lengthy transaction. But I think firms need to make that clear to uh, to their buyers really and that age-old thing you know we advise the client instructs yeah definitely there's plenty of stuff on the internet as well that you can refer a client to yeah um if they wanted to go out over and do their sort of own investigation so i think nearly it's just drawing their attention to it yeah um, and speaking of internet actually um probably worth now conveyance is actually doing a quick sort of you know google of all the main of the main developers when you get them in a, in a new release and seeing if that developer going to that developer's website and seeing if that developer has made an announcement about its mm-hmm. attitude to ground rents and so on um because um you know that might help a transaction move forward and the government press release actually dated the 22nd of december 2021 has pointed out that the um, Competition and Markets Authority is continued continuing to investigate two investment groups, uh, Brigante Properties and Abacus Land and Adriatic Land, uh, basically asking them what they intend to do about doubling ground rents. And the CMA's investigation into barracks developments is also continuing. <coughs> now, there's no suggestion that any of those organisations have done anything wrong. But again, I think 
you know, Adriatic is certainly a pretty frequent name that crops up Barrett similarly. And we need to be at the forefront of being able to advise our clients. Well, this is where we are now. <coughs> you know, do you want to go ahead with the situation as it is now? Yeah. Or do you want to potentially wait? Uh, and I think that's an issue that we also need to be advising our clients about. But I think we should be looking and going to a developer's website to see if they've got a position on these things or a freeholder's website. I think on a slightly different tangent as well, um, I'm always critical of some of the guys that work for me in terms of, you know, they're forever looking at stuff, forever solving problems, looking at complex issues. Um, but it's actually selling ourselves in terms of what we do, isn't it? So I think there's no harm actually pointing out to a client that you've done this initial pricey and there could potentially be problems. Right. Um, you know, um, obviously, there's, you know, it's a way of managing expectations, um, maybe on a different level if you're then talking about, for example, dealer variations. It, it, it gives you that avenue to row in those extra costs that you should quite rightly be charging if you have to do that extra work. So yeah, exactly. it sort of fits and fills a number of different um, purposes, doesn't it? I think so. Um, well, are there any other sort of particular news things that 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 have struck you in the last month or so, Stu? I mean, there's always a lot going on, always a lot in the legal press. There's always loads in the world of conveyancing, isn't there? But I suppose uh, we can't really leave another news uh, topic or show without talking about COVID, can we? Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? The start of the year, if we'd done this maybe early January, it might have been a completely different conversation when statistics were looking at uh, showing us that you know everything was going wrong again we're now entering a period where maybe we we're looking to come out of the, like the current pandemic but um you know we spoke about covid a number of times before and, mm. and covid clauses so uh, i'm hopeful we we may not to bring or may not need to bring this subject up again what do you think i think we probably will be bringing the subject up again think? lovely but i think mm. we are consistent this is the last time well, our consistent view will be, um, uh, and remember, we're not giving advice, we're just sort of making our general comments, but you and I have never been a big fan of COVID clauses in residential conveyancing contracts, and I suspect that will remain our position. So I guess our thoughts for conveyances out there, if you're presented with a COVID clause, uh, find an alternative like a simultaneous, but do remember to advise your client accordingly. But I really hope we don't yeah. have to mention the C word against you, but I have a horrible feeling we might. Well, somehow who knows, who knows who knows what's going to happen but i think that the, the the should we say the moral of the story or the moral of the point whatever you want to call it um especially for those sort of younger guys and training you know guys that are training at the moment just reinforces the importance of advising the client that when they commit to that exchange this is not just a process they're committing to that contract they are binding themselves um to something i completion that could be taking place in two weeks and there's a whole host of things that could happen mm. that may mean you, you you could, in theory, breach that contract. And these are the implications of, of breaching it. It's being clear on the advice that we give. And, of course, who would have thought two, three years ago when we gave that advice, we could have been adding in a, a worldwide pandemic um, yeah, exactly. that could pop up to prevent completion from happening. So, you know, there are, of course, a number of things that could happen in the interim period before we complete that, that could in theory prevent it and we spoke before about you know lenders and um pulling offers and all sorts of things you know um maybe availability of removal companies or um or you know even we've had it before where we delayed completion because unfortunately people have lost loved ones not necessarily to covid but um yeah. but that can all have an impact there's just so many things that can happen and it's you know underline the importance of what that client is about to do 
yeah absolutely well that's probably as good a place as any Stu to uh, to leave our uh, January conveyancing matters news update and uh, and if anybody's watching perhaps for the first time and uh, wants to get um reminders of uh, of when these youtube um, chats come out then do remember to subscribe it's free i'm so stupid Stu. i thought for ages that subscribing on youtube meant you have to pay subscribe to me means pay a comment <laughs> but, hey, thanks very much yeah no, i don't look up to that but so uh, so do Full remember stop. to subscribe if you're if you're interested in anything Stu and i've got to say and uh, and we'll um, we'll say thank you very much for watching and and hope to see you again soon so take care Stu. take care guys see ya bye